Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Well, my name is Pete, and it is my joy. Uh, to bring God's Word to us tonight, and we are going to continue in the series called In Christ, and so um, I have been enjoying this series and I'm excited about our message tonight because we come to one of the passages that if somebody said, what is your favorite passage of the Bible? This would be on my top five, okay? Now, I love all of the Bible, but this passage articulates and hammers out the beauty and glory of the gospel of Jesus with such clarity that it, I'm just drawn to it, and it's, it's so powerful. So uh, anyways, I am excited about our passage tonight. Um, I have often thought about how we in our culture, maybe this is just humanity, not just our culture, tend to be underestimators, um, Maybe you're a chronic underestimator. Let me give you some examples of chronic underestimating, and you can tell me if you're one of them. Um, perhaps you underestimate how much sleep you need. Anybody? Anybody here? Can I get an amen? Okay, yes, I see that hand in the back. Yes. <laughs> um, how about this one? You underestimate how long it takes to check Instagram. Anybody, anybody, come on now, come on now. Confession's good for the soul. All right, yeah, all right, okay. Another underestimator back there. How about this one? We underestimate how long the last two minutes of the ball game will take. It's like, oh, I'll I'll start studying as soon as the game's over. There's only two minutes left. And like 30 minutes later, you open up your book and start studying. Anybody? Okay. Um, How about this one? You underestimate how long it takes to get somewhere. Anybody chronically late? Oh, it just takes five minutes. Yes, up in the balcony, I see that hand. Okay, yes, I can see that hand over in the theater. (laughs) No, just kidding. Um, How about this one? That you underestimate how out of shape you are. Anybody? You ever like bit off a little bit more than you could chew when you're exercising? I remember um, our first year here on grounds, I went to the AFC. I had not worked out in probably about 10 years at that point. Um, I went to the AFC and I was like, I'm going to work out. And so I did arm day because that's where you start when you start working out. You don't start on leg day. Come on now, all right? You start, start on arm day. So I start working out my arms, and I got a good pump in my arms. I was impressing my wife with my pumped arms. And pretty soon, like, my arms were, well, I shouldn't say pretty soon. Like, a couple hours later, they were still the same size. I thought, whoa, I got a really good workout. So I went to bed, I woke up in the morning, the alarm clock goes off, and I go to turn off the alarm clock, and I can barely bend my arm. I had so overworked out, I was so out of shape, I so overdid it that my tricep was so swollen that I couldn't bend my arm like more than that. I, I, I couldn't brush my own teeth, I, was like, I barely feed myself, I couldn't button my own shirt, put in my contact shave. I had to pre- preach at a church, and I was like doing arm motions like this, because I could not move my arms. <laughs> I underestimated how out of shape I was. When we come to our passage tonight, we, we, we come to a couple uh, truths that we tend to underestimate, but we cannot afford to underestimate. If we underestimate these two things, we will miss the glory and wonder of the gospel. It won't change us like it could. Here are the two, two truths we're going to look at 
that if we underestimate these, it will be to our own peril. Number one, we tend to underestimate our own sinfulness. And number two, we tend to underestimate the greatness of our Savior. And this passage tonight is going to take us into those truths, and as a result, the gospel will become more transforming to our lives as we dive into these. So open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be um, in verses 1 through 10. And I'm going to just talk about three things tonight. We'll talk, number one, about what we're saved from. Number two, how we are saved. And number three, what we're saved for. Anybody want to know those things? What we're saved from, how we are saved, and what we're saved for. So um, I'm going to start in verse one of chapter two. And here's what it says. As for you, that means you, wherever you're at, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Okay, let's stop there for just a second. It's like Paul says, we got to deal with the bad news before we can understand the good news. And so it's like he takes us up to the edge of a cesspool, a deep, dark cesspool of depravity. And he says, I want you to look into the cesspool and see what Jesus has saved you from. Because this is what you were in before you met Jesus. This is where you were. And so he outlines what was in our sinfulness, the depravity of our sinfulness. And the first thing he says is this, you are dead. You were spiritually dead and unresponsive to God. And as a result, you did what people who are spiritually dead and unresponsive, you lived that way. And that is in sin. Of course, we, we lived that way. Everyone who's walked the face of the earth. In fact, as I, as I talk about this description, this isn't just for like the really bad people. This is you and this is me. Okay. And then he describes the way we used to live. And he talks about these three realities that the Bible talks about often. The three realities are the world. And in the Bible, the world is seen as this hostile, hostile entity that's been turned hostile to God. It's not neutral, okay? He talks about the world. He talks about the devil, the adversary, the one who, who is the, the prince of the kingdom of the air, okay? The, who, who is basically over the hostile world. And then he talks about the flesh. And in the Bible, we get how we as Christians are supposed to interact with these three hostile realities. With, with the world, Paul tells us in Romans 12 too, do not be, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be, re, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So do not conform to the pattern of this world. With the devil, we're told this, resist the devil and he'll flee in James 4. And so you need to resist him. And then we find with our flesh, we're told this, to crucify the flesh. Well, what does that mean? It means that the sinful desires that are bound up in your flesh, to crucify those and live in the spirit is what it says. Galatians 5. Okay, so that's what we know. And now let's see how we lived before Christ. It says this in verse 2, in which you used to live when you followed the ways 
of the world. In other words, we, we were told not to conform to the pattern of this world. But guess what we do in our sinful state? What do we do? We conform to the pattern of this world. This entity that is hostile to God. It's hostility, rebellion, idolatry, oppression, greed, perversion, contempt. And its selfishness permeates and dominates our world and it defined our lives. I I like how Eugene Peterson puts this verse in the message. Here's Here's a quote of how he paraphrases it in the message. He says this, you let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. In other words, you are just floating with the stream of the world with all of its hostilities, with all of its oppression, with all of its perversion, with all of its, um, it, it, its hostility, and you're just floating along with it. So instead of, instead of being transformed, we, we were conformed. And then it keeps on going and it says this, Not only did you follow the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And so instead of resisting the devil, what did we do? We submitted to to his work. We submitted to him. Okay, you're like, wait a second. Did I submit to his work? Here's the point. He says he's the ruler of the kingdom of the air. In other words, the world that has bent in hostility against God. He's the one behind the strings, or behind the scene, pulling the strings, manipulating, setting the trends. And you were a good soldier and you marched according to those trends and you went in the direction he wanted you to go. You were actually doing his will. And as a result, you're a good soldier. And so rather than resisting, you submitted to it. And then finally, in verse 3, it says that all of us, and it means you, it means me, all of us, lived among them at one time. Then listen to this description. Gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Instead of crucifying our flesh, what did we do? We indulged it. Instead of living by the Spirit, no, we lived by the flesh and we just indulged it. We indulged all of the, that our sinful nature would, would draw us to our selfishness, our greed, our lust, our pride, our anger, our jealousy, our envy, our contempt for others, and more. And so Paul says, when you look into the cesspool of your depravity and your sinfulness, these are the things that were driving your lives. The world and its hostilities, the hostilities of the evil one and the hostilities of your own sinful nature. These are what were defining your lives, the the cravings of, of the flesh. And so he gives one final cumulative statement of our state. He says this, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. In other words, what did we deserve? If we get what we deserved, we deserve judgment, he says. As I was preparing for this, I was reminded of a quote by Somerset Mom um, that I read years ago. And he said this, he said, if I were to write down every thought I've ever thought, or every deed, or and every deed that I've ever done, 
men would call me a monster of depravity. And I thought, I wonder who tonight who is listening to this would, would willingly let me put every thought you've ever thought and every deed you've ever done up on PowerPoint tonight for us all to enjoy. All of us would cower behind that reality because we know that we truly are depraved people in desperate need of a Savior. That is the bad news. Here's the first thing. We tend to underestimate our sin. I have a question for you. Do you tend to underestimate the depth of your sinfulness? We all need saved, and yet we tend to underestimate just how sinful we are. Well, the good news is that's not where the passage ends. So let's keep reading. Let's, let's hop into verse four. Let's see how God responds to our depravity. He says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Wow. How did he respond to our depravity? Did he give us what we deserve? No, let let me give you the words that describe the response that God gave us. Well, first of all, the first words are this. I love how the ESV says, but God, right? This is where you are, but God, but God changed the whole scene. How did he change it? How did he respond to us? Here are the phrases that are used. Rich in mercy, great love incomparable riches of grace expressed in his kindness. How did he respond? With mercy, love, grace, kindness. And what were the effects? What were the effects of his grace, love, mercy, and kindness that were shown to us through what Jesus did on our behalf? The effects were this, that we went from being defined by death to be made alive in Christ, being defined by resurrection life. That we went from being defined as people who were by nature deserving of wrath to people who were seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. In other words, instead of being seated in our condemnation, we're now seated in honor with Christ. That's legally where we are when we are are saved by Christ. We are put in a place of honor. (laughs) Tim Keller put it this way, that Jesus took our seat so we could sit in his I love that. I remember uh, years ago, we had a, a fall retreat, and our fall retreat speaker um, came out on Saturday morning, and he was coming into the session, and I, his name was Jonathan. I said, hey, Jonathan, how you doing this morning? And I'll never forget his response. He said, he said I'm doing great. He said, the view is great from up here. I just kind of looked at him. He said, yeah, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. The view is great up here. And I've never forgotten that because he was so aware of the fact that he was seated with Christ in the heavenly realms at the right hand of the Father. In other words, in this place of honor that he sat, that it was, uh, he was so aware of what Jesus had done. And that's what Jesus does in our lives. How does he respond to our depravity? 
is he changes our story. And then verse 8 and 9, we get, um, Paul wants to emphasize something that I don't want us to miss tonight. He says this, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is by grace that you are saved through faith. And it says this, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. Okay, it says that we were saved by the riches of his, or the incomparable riches of his grace. And it says this, that we were saved by the incomparable riches of his grace to put, on, to put that on display in this age and in the age to come and for ages in the future. In other words, when we are saved by God's grace, we become a trophy of grace, right? And not just for now, not just so like when you see Pete Bulette and, he, and God's like, you wanna see my grace? Look at Pete Bulette, exhibit A, you're like, whoa, <laughs> that is amazing grace. You saved him? <laughs> That's amazing grace, right? Not just for this age, but when you're walking around heaven, you're going to see me there and you're like, what, you're, you're here? Like, I'm sure people from my high school will definitely feel that, you know, like, you're here? Yeah, it's the incomparable riches of his grace. I mean, what can I say? The point is, is JB and Sam and Jackson, we are all people who are trophies of the grace of God. That's the only reason why we're here. It's the only reason why we're saved is by the lavish grace of God. That means this, no one can boast. No one's going to be in heaven bragging. Let me put it this way. The person who is saved on their deathbed will be there by the sheer grace of God. The person who gave their life on the mission field will be there by the sheer grace of God. The incomparable riches of his grace. That's the only reason why they're going to be there. The person who gives millions of dollars to the causes of Christ to alleviate suffering and to bring the gospel where it's never been. The only reason why that person will be able to enter into the kingdom of God after they die and are in the kingdom of God today is by the sheer grace of God. The only reason why the person who gets up early every morning and spends a couple hours seeking God in God's word and in prayer, the only reason why they are in God's kingdom today and will be in his kingdom after they die is for one reason, that is by the sheer grace of God that's expressed to them in Jesus Christ. In other words, there will be no one there on their own merit. No one can boast. There's no one who sits here today as a Christian on their own merit. There's no one who'll sit in heaven on their own merit. For it is 100% gift. And the only confidence I will ever have, no matter how many messages I, I share, the only confidence you will ever have, no matter how much you do, is in the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus so that no one can boast. I was reading John Stott's commentary as I prepared for this, and I loved what he said. He said this, we will not be able to strut around heaven like peacocks when we get there. (laughs) I just love that picture. There's not going to be any strutting in heaven. 
All there's going to be is humble gratitude for the lavish grace of God. Let me ask you a question. Do you underestimate the greatness of your Savior? Do you underestimate the only reason why you are saved is because of his great love, rich mercy, and the lavish grace of God? Do you underestimate that? Because I hope tonight, if you do, you'll be reminded of its reality. And then in verse 10, it says this, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So he started by telling us the life we are saved from. Then he tells us how we're saved. And now he tells us the life that we are saved for. And he says this, you are God's handiwork. And I, I love this word. It's, it's translated in the ESV, you are God's workmanship. In the NLT, it talks about how you are God's masterpiece. In other words, you are God's, the word is poema in, in the Greek, and it's a sense of, it's like an artistic word that it, it, it's this picture. You're God's work of art. It speaks of your value. It speaks of your uniqueness. It speaks of that you are his work. As you are saved, it's about his work and what he's doing in your life. And it says this, and as his handiwork, the work of his work in your life, he now in Christ Jesus has created you to do good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do. In other words, you're not saved by your works, but as you are in Christ, he has good works for you to do. Um, this passage, let me remind us how it started. It started by talking about how we had um, been obedient to the ruler of the spirit of the age doing his bidding, right? But then Jesus saves us. And he pulls us out of, our, out of the, the miry clay of our sin. And he dusts us off, if you will, by his grace. He does more than dust us off, right? But he, 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 by his grace, he saves us. And now we go from doing the bidding of the kingdom of darkness and now joining God in the good works he has prepared for us. And now we live to join him in what he is doing in the world. That's the radical change that he brings Two weeks ago, uh, Rachel shared her story. And I, I remember something she said. She said this. She said, I knew that God had a purpose for me. That God had a purpose for me here. And I, and I was sitting over there. I was like, yes, you are so right, Rachel. He has a purpose for you. Because here's what I know. Everyone who's in Christ, God has a purpose for you. He has good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means a couple things. I'm so glad you asked. It means that there are certain works that he has prepared in advance for you to do that we all share. The works are these, that he has works for you to glorify him. He wants you to glorify him through living a Christ-like life, by putting the, his nature and character on display by the way you live, right? By living a Christ-like life. That is part of the good works he has for you. Other parts of the good works that he has for you is the way you love your neighbors. The, these are the greatest commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And as we love our neighbors, as we treat people um, as God would have us treat them, we are doing the good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. Are you following me? Also, he wants you to be an ambassador. As, uh, as JB was talking about, he was talking about how we are arrows that have been put in different places to be light, right? He has that for all of us to do. 
That's part of the good works he has for us to do. So we, there are good works that we all share. However, there are also good works that he has that are unique to you and unique to me. He's going to take you and put you in some unique places, give you unique gifts and talents and put you in unique environments that I will never be in. And there he has good works for you to do. And for some of you, those good works may be as a counselor or an engineer or a scientist or an educator or or somebody in the medical profession. For, For others of you, it may be as a parent or a coach or a minister or a missionary. But here's what I know. I know that if you are in Christ, that he has good works that he has prepared in advance for you to do. And so what is, as we are saved and in Christ, he has stuff that he wants to use us for, for his glory. And he takes us from those who are doing the bidding of the kingdom of darkness. And he pulls us out and he says, now your life can be defined by purposes that I have for you, created in advance for you to do. I have a question for you. Do you underestimate the good works that God has for you? You personally. Many of them are shared with everybody around you and there may be some that are unique to you. That he's prepared in advance for you. I want to close by just sharing a a metaphor. Uh, Recently, my family watched a show on Netflix um, called Blown Away. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that show. It's a show about glass blowing. Ever since I was a little kid, I loved glass blowing. I don't know. It's just one of the coolest things to me. I don't know. I've just always been fascinated. So when I saw there was a show, I'm like, we're watching the show. And so my family really enjoyed watching the show. But here's what they would do. They would get a challenge at the end of the day. There'd be like eight glass blowers and they would have a challenge and they would take these sticks of glass, ordinary sticks of glass, and then they would take those sticks of glass, they would put it in the furnace, it would soften, and they would create something beautiful. And not just something beautiful, beautiful, but oftentimes something functional at, at the end as well. And what they created represented their skill and represented the, the goodness of, of, their, of, of their craft. And as I was writing this message, I couldn't help but think how the Bible says in this verse that you, you are God's handiwork. You are a piece of his craftsmanship. And And he finds us in the depravity of our sin. And he he says, I'll use that. And he he takes us. And he immerses us into the furnace of his great love, rich mercy, incomparable riches of his grace, into the furnace of his kindness. And he pulls us out. And he pulls us out as a trophy of his grace. 
and not just a trophy of his grace. Yeah, you're going to always be exhibit A of the incomparable riches of the mercies of God. I mean, for the rest of your life into eternity, you're going to be an exhibit, a trophy of his grace. But not just that. It's a trophy with function that he has crafted in, in a very unique way, in a beautiful way that you can then have live out the good works that he has prepared in advance for you to do. Sculpted by his hands as his handiwork to reflect his grace and do good works. That is the beauty of the gospel. So as we close, I'm just going to re-ask the questions I've asked earlier. Do you tend to underestimate the depth of your sinfulness? Because we all need it saved and we cannot underestimate the depth of our depravity. Secondly, do you underestimate the greatness of your Savior? Is he rich in mercy, great in love? Does, is, his, is his grace incomparable in riches? And his kindness to you. I will tell you this. In the kingdom of God, there is no one, yet no one, who can strut. There's only one posture in God's kingdom, both here and into eternity. And that's a posture of humility. Because we all entered the same way by his lavish grace. And then finally, do you tend to underestimate the purposes that he has for you? The good works he's prepared in advance for you to do. Tim Keller says it this way. You are far more sinful than you know. And yet, far more loved than you ever dare to imagine. For some of you, tonight is your night to accept Jesus as your Savior and let this passage become your story. This is your night. So, I would like to pray. If this is you, I want to invite you to do a very simple thing. Open your heart to the grace of God. It says that this, we access that grace through faith. In other words, we put our trust in Him. We turn away from our flesh and we turn towards Him and put our trust in Him. If that is you tonight, will you pray with me this prayer? Very simple prayer. Lord, as we are confronted with our sinfulness, we repent. And we turn from the depravity of the world, from the depravity of the evil one, the depravity of our flesh. And we turn towards you, towards your great mercy. We turn towards your rich love and the riches of your grace and your kindness. We place our trust in you, Jesus. We ask, Lord, that you would save us. Make us new. Your handiwork so we can live out the good work that you've prepared in advance for us to do. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we close and as trophies of God's grace. One of the good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do is to worship him. Let's close in worship as we um, celebrate these truths. May we not underestimate the depth of our sinfulness. May we not underestimate the greatness of our Savior. And may we not underestimate the good works that he has prepared in advance for us to do. We are far more sinful than we know. And yet, far more loved than we ever dare to imagine. Isn't that good news? That is life transforming truth. Well, trophies of grace. Let's uh, close with a benediction. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you. And may he give you peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a great week following Jesus. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com. 